1: Hello and welcome to episode 153 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Owen from washedupemo.com and today we welcome Mitch Wilson from No Knife. Mitch and I have spoken to each other over the years and finally got some time to chat. We go deep into the San Diego scene, how he met rock from the crypt and drive like Jehu in the early days of being on a label that was associated with a major. Also, how No Knife met the get up kids and their deep relationship with Lazy Kane and Jimmy Eat World. We find out that we both utilize a set of ten jokes that we use relentlessly to our friends and family. Finally, we chat about his life as a dad, and you'll hear his son a couple times in the podcast. It is worth waiting for. There's one at the beginning. It is absolutely hilarious. I need to do more of that. The best part, No Knife Still Play. They have a show coming up opening for Jawbox in L.A. at the Regent Theater on July 14th. If you're listening to this, after this date... I am sure there's some sweet YouTube videos out there. Thank you to all the Patreon supporters out there. You make this podcast happen. If you want to support, head on over to patreon.com slash This is episode 153 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Mitch Wilson from No Knife. So we'll see how it goes. Did you hear that? See? You got to just say it out loud.
2: Got to put it out there. What? Good job. (laughs) Oh, now, just like any other engineer, his his job's over. He pressed the button and now he's sleeping or he's on Facebook or something. (laughs) I don't know what you're asking me what I heard. (laughs) Never mind. Go back to reading. (laughs) I don't. I finished my book. Oh, yeah, that's right. Start on your next book. I don't have the next book. Oh. Hmm.
1: Get him uh, – download Our Bank of Be Your Life real quick.
2: Yeah, download that real quick. Oh, your backpack's right there with the with all your stuff in it, by the way. Okay. Okay. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> My favorite start to a podcast ever. <laughs> you know, and this is how life is.
1: <laughs> it's getting to a part where the kids come to the studio <laughs> for the uh-huh. interview. At that point.
2: Yeah. Yes. He's He's got to know how this stuff is because – he, um, he's playing, he's playing a show on the weekend. He's got, he's got this little band and I don't mean to diminish the band. It's, they are rather diminutive, you know? Are they doing any no knife covers?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if they know any. <laughs> Dad, we're going to try to rock out secret handshake. Are you cool with that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow. You just picked one that, that I was thinking about i was like i hope you can figure it out because i can't remember how to do it so (laughs) just there's a little part in the middle that i can't every time we get together we get together every it seems like every three years or so now um to do something usually for for tim at the casbah um every time i finally figure out my guitar parts and I'm like, somebody, just please come videotape this, or you know, <laughs> set up a tripod and video it, just so the next time I don't have to spend the you know six and a half hours trying to figure it out just for one song. Well, now I know
1: we're going to get someone to do it that next time. Great, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so growing up in San Diego, how did you get into music? My dad
2: was a preacher, and uh, we would have these you know, going to church and they would have the little, the choir presentation and the kids choir and things like that. And, uh, I remember he would be preaching and I would just be writing, you know, bad metal lyrics on the back of the tithing envelopes and whatnot. But, uh, I, I've always, I've always really enjoyed it. It's just that growing up in the church, I didn't hear any good music until way later. I think, the first, the first records I ever bought. Um, this give you an idea of the time period too. Maybe nineteen eighty one. Um, it was High and Dry by Def Leppard and Black Market Clash. Wow. And so, one took me one direction, and one took me the completely the opposite direction. But I've always, I've always just, I've always loved it, and I've always felt like I've had a kind of a knack for it a little bit. But I've never uh I, I took a couple of I took a couple of classes at community college when I was older to try to figure out how to learn how to play guitar, but I'd already been in bands for a couple of years and, you know, I just kinda figured everything out by, by watching and getting people to show me. So
1: Wow. So, I mean, I had, I had David Bazan on at a previous episode and, you know, him talking about that. And I went to school in the South and I met kids that said, you know, I never, I wasn't allowed to listen to this or I wasn't allowed to, or be exposed to this. What was that like when you first were exposed to that Clash record or that Def Leppard? Like inside was, did it, did it not it feel wrong? Was it just, oh my God, there's this whole other world that I didn't know about? Definitely, definitely. It
2: wasn't so much like uh, the metal stuff. It was like a a bigger kid at my church that listened to you know Judas Priest and ACDC and uh, Def Leppard. Right. That was that was like kind of that was I think that was their second record. So they were still that was before Pyromania like broke them into the big time. Whatever. But that stuff was okay. But then there was. Uh, like the Aussie stuff, the Black Sabbath stuff. I mean, when I was younger, I wasn't allowed to watch uh, the Smurfs because of occult references for Gargamel and Azrael, and then Almighty Isis because it, it wow. had occult references. So, so yeah, it it did impact me. Like what? And also, the music was just so much better. Jeez, but I uh, it wasn't it wasn't to that degree until I got a little bit older and started getting into like uh I got the first christian death record and and listening to that uh it, it got to the point where i I felt like I had to put it outside like in a plastic bag because <laughs> it being in the house might you know turn my little brother into you know some crazy exorcist type thing and you know whatever so and the cure like the the first cure record I think I got was well, actually, it was happily ever after. So it was the Faith in Seventeen Seconds, um, double record, and uh, yeah, it was it was just so dark. And yeah, I guess it did have a, a really, but I always I always kind of was drawn to it too. Maybe more so because of my upbringing.
1: And people were telling you these records, right? Like they were saying, "Hey, check out this Christian Death," or was it the record store? Or you said it was that guy, that one guy that was showing you all the metal stuff, right?
2: yeah well once i got into eighth grade there was a gaggle of goth girls that went to my school and then there was a couple of punk rock guys and uh i was just i was a teeny kid and the guys you know they would always just kind of pick on me and not talk to me or anything like that but the goth girls were like oh Little Mitch, come here. And so I would just hang out with them and then they would listen to, you know, Christian Death and Soft Cell. And they got me into Japan and Bauhaus and Tones on Tail and all the stuff that I still listen to regularly. Wow. (laughs) So that helped a lot. And I guess the other piece of it is the,
1: like, what about punk or what about sort of not stuff that was on the radio
2: appealed? Well, I don't know. I've never really... I think it was the sense of otherness, but also uh, the sense of community that came with it. Once I got a little bit older and got into punk, I, I think the first, other than The Clash, the the first punk stuff was, I don't know, like GBH and Exploited and Suicidal Tendencies. But then I heard like The Germs, and I really liked that Germs album, and then The Subhumans, and... I don't know, the going there was like the sense of community. Um I I joined a I joined a band and uh started hanging out and then they brought me to my first show, which What was that? I think it was <laughs> it was seven seconds and doggy style at the Jackie Robinson Y. Wow. And uh just seeing like these people and they were doing everything themselves and there wasn't an overabundance of lights and you know it was dangerous and i don't know i, I don't know i mean that that the the diy part is what connected to me
1: it was that same thing of oh yeah. wow look at the look at that kid taking the money at the door or the girl right. working the the like the soda juice line at the vfw or the guy that also i think i think he made my sandwich last week is the sound guy like you just yeah that's when i was like this i i can do it
2: yeah
0: Not, you know, the arena show. Also, there's a sense
2: of community. Yeah. Like, uh, you could be walking, you know, through the parking lot of some, you know, mall or somewhere, and you'll see another weird-looking kid. And back then, that was so out of the ordinary that you would just kind of walk towards each other. I'm Mitch. I'm Josh. And then you're friends forever, you know. And that was a lot with like, I always joked about the t-shirts,
1: you know, if you saw a kid with the t-shirt, you would go up to him and because yeah. it was like, uh, there was a kid that had a snap case shirt on at college and I literally ran out of my dorm and jumped on him and said, we'll be right. friends. <laughs> and I brought him up to my room and I played him like, you know, straight edge metal or something. And we, I'm, I still talk to him to this day, but you're right. Like, I don't know. Again, that still happens but yeah. it's it you're right you're it's you just look at each other and you're like well you're
2: probably into the germs <laughs> i'm yeah. going to say what's up <laughs> yeah yeah and i really enjoyed that aspect of of being a kid that there was that you know you're trying you're trying to fit into a, some sort of mold but at the same time you're trying to show your individuality and then you find a like like-minded you know little group that you can hang out with and express ideas uh i started a band um that it it was me and my little brother and a couple of guys from the neighborhood who were into punk rock and we started a band and i was the singer because i didn't know how to play anything and we got a little guitar for 15 bucks and my little brother We figured out, you remember those cassette players that you press record and play, and then you press the tab, like you open it up and press the tab on the tape? Yes. Well, we figured out that you could play a guitar through there. So we would just play the guitar through the stereo, and then the drummer would play coffee cans upside down. The bass player actually had a bass and an instrument, but I didn't have anything, so I was just the singer, I guess. But then I started playing with this other band who needed a singer. And I didn't have to do much. The guitar player had already written all the lyrics and the songs and all that. So i just show up and drink beer and jump up and down and try to do my best singing. But then they would put their guitars down, go on a break, and I would kind of pick it up and play with it. And then they'd go, shut up, you're making too much noise. (laughs) <laughs> so I picked up a bass just because that that was easier just one note at a time kind of thing and I did that for a couple of months but then uh, the band that one of the bands that we used to play parties with all the time they said they needed a second guitar player and they were called Funeral March I said well I want to play guitar and they were like great so I came and played guitar when I got there I was like I don't have a guitar and I don't know how to play a guitar but that didn't seem to matter to them either you know they were like here we have an extra guitar the bass player would tune tune my guitar in between songs and uh it was fun so and that again that was playing somebody else's stuff the other guitar player but then that guitar player left and it was kind of all of a sudden up to me so it's, it just i don't know it's just something that well we need more songs for the party we have coming up so you better write something i wasn't trained traditionally or anything a lot of the chords and it's still with no knife it's still a lot like that uh a lot of the chords were kind of accidental chords which is also what makes it so hard to remember <laughs> years later because you just you're futzing around on the guitar for hours and hours and hours and then all of a sudden you hit something weird and wrong like we do kind of an I can't even explain. I don't even have the musical terminology. But it's kind of like an octave chord, but then with this root, it's kind of a common one that we use. Um, You just accidentally do that, and then you try to string a bunch of accidents together in in a way that sounds pleasing to the air. That's how it's supposed
1: to happen, and I feel like that's sort of again the d i y approach versus getting you know lessons or classically trained or whatever the it kind of stunts it, but for you falling into it, and almost like you've got your not fight or flight but you've almost like, well, I said yes to this, and it's in front of me, I need to do something, and I think there's something inside you that it it it, it something happens and it's inside of you, and then it just you're you're able to do it,
2: yeah, or it's it's like it's like a bird getting pushed out of the nest Yeah, <laughs> you're, or, or, or you're going to jump and you're like, I hope I figure it out before I hit the ground. Yeah, And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I guess that's kind of how I've done everything in my life. If something, if something interests you, um, you just put all your focus on it. And also you just, you just kind of put yourself in the situation. You act as if, you know what I mean? Fake it till you make it. How old were you during this time with Funeral March? Funeral March, I was probably 16, 17, something like that.
1: And then how long did that go? In before Was the next band No Knife? Or
2: was there one it, in between? It, it actually was. So the time period would be 80, 89. And then from 90 to 92, um, I was trying to get something new started Um with the singer, Matt from Funeral March, uh, he was singing and then I got my brother to play guitar and, or no, my brother was playing bass and my girlfriend, Nikki was playing guitar. And then we would try different drummers and we had, we had some kind of idea of a, of a direction. Um, I guess I should back it up a little bit because toward the end of Funeral March, um, is when Pitchfork happened, but when Pitchfork were just a three-piece instrumental, and you know they'd just be playing in John's bedroom, and we'd go over to pick them up, and the first time John I Lee's heard, right, yeah, 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 and uh, I I just came in and I sat down, and it, it it kind of you know rewired my brain and the possibilities of what could be done musically, because I mean. It was it was a lot faster, more kind of squirrel bait kind of vibe to their earlier stuff before they got Rick, but uh, it just it sounded so much more melodic, but still really powerful. And uh, Don, the bass player, they called him Spaz Jazz because he he did the 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 slap bass, mm-hmm. you know, and then um, Joey playing drums. It, they just they just all. I don't it, it, I don't know how to say it it just changed it just changed everything for me it was one of those big milestones the one of those moments in life where you're like oh and so post funeral march which funeral march was more of uh kind of like horror rock but kind of campy you know misfitzy kind of stuff i think i think you can find it on soundcloud um uh the direction that i wanted to go with was more melodic so we tried that for a couple of years and it didn't work out for various reasons and then you know people you know people would be not interested and things like that but then uh i finally uh, met the the singer wh- who when he was he kind of bowed out because he's like you want some different thing you want somebody that sings higher or weirder or whatever um but he introduced me to Ike the the original drummer Ike Zarempa and we went to a bar and we had a couple beers and we just talked music and Ike was in a, a band called Purge and he was in a band called Mother Fist and I think he was in Love Canal for a little while and he was just he was a friendly guy um loved like Martin Atkins um we we listened to a lot of the same uh kind of gothy stuff but then also the punk stuff and uh, we just got together and wrote Sweep Away My Shadow and that was that and then we just had to get more people so so it was that quick yeah like once it once it clicked with him um well uh Nikki Sloat was playing guitar for a while, but then uh she moved away and then we got Aaron and then Ike uh Aaron Aaron was our first guitar player, but then um Ike brought Brian Desgene to my birthday party and he's like, Hey, this is Brian, he's gonna play bass. And I was like, oh, cool, is he good? And he's like, sure. And and uh, I was like, "Hey, how long have you been playing bass? You know, what's your thing?" And he's like, "Not long, <laughs> but let's do it." And I was like, "Okay." And he turned—he turned out like watching him, watching him blossom into the bass player that he is now. I—I oh, I loved like the the second or the third and fourth records, especially listening to him play bass, like the Spy or the Red Bedroom, like the stuff that he does the bass on. <laughs> Man, it's I'm. I feel lucky to be in a band with them. That's rad.
1: No, to yeah. be able to again, that same thing. He took that same leap. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Now, what were you doing in in between this time? Were you you were not in college, or you were in college, or like were your no, parents was, cool with all this?
2: No, I was just living on my own and uh, bartending and trying to trying to just make my way. <laughs> that, that that sort of thing.
1: Wow, and then so you were like, "I'm doing music. This is it. This is all
2: I want to do." That, yes, it, it was. It was. That's that's my big goal in life was to put on a record and watch the grooves go around, and that that's something that I wrote. That was my big goal. I mean, it was it wasn't lofty, but but I, you know, back then you could live on next to nothing and make it through. Yeah. So, and then some of those, some of
1: those first shows, like what was some of those feelings of, you know, again, the networking and the, you know, meeting people or college radio or um, any of those kind of first, uh, you know, connections that you remember?
2: Yeah. And I, I mean, a lot of them, a lot of them are the San Diego bands that are kind of more well known Today, like we were just a bunch of little kids at shows like i, I think I first met John Reese because he was uh standing there in a dekreuzit shirt that he hand silkscreen and he was handing out flyers to his you know forty two band show for five dollars <laughs> <laughs> and you know um <sighs> there were there were a lot of you know uh like gar from Tanner and. Hot snakes and beehive in the Barracudas and Pete from Rocket, like they had a they had a radio show at the local radio station at S D S U and but it was two to six AM on Thursday mornings and they didn't feel like doing it anymore. So they were like, here, you guys come take over the come take that over. So my roommate and I would Bring our records, but we didn't have a key to get in, so we'd climb in through the bathroom window. What? And break, and break in, bring all our records, and then just play records from two to six a.m. on Thursdays, and we did it for, you know, a whole semester or something. And then they were doing the rotation where they were going to pick new DJs. So we went to the meeting and we're like, "Hey, do you mind if we have that slot? Because I mean, we've already been doing it for months." <laughs> and they were like, "Do you go here? No." But we can come here. (laughs) They weren't into it.
1: They 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 weren't into it.
2: No, no. (laughs) But yeah, there's there's still a lot of people that are around and you know, kind of made San Diego what it is now. Whether it's you know with restaurants or bars or you know art spaces or venues.
1: I mean, that's the it's it in talking to all these people around around the country or around the world rather. And each of their scenes, and you know, I've talked about L.A. with KXLU, where I've had um, you know people from San Francisco or Midwest or Florida. Any, any example? Can just give a brief sort of. I mean, we know about John Reese, if it, you know all his stuff, but I guess in general about San Diego, is there anything sort of unique or interesting about it
2: that you've felt o- over the years? There have been several. Kind of things that made San Diego what it is. One, uh, geographically, it's really spread out, and public transportation's bad. You know, there's kind of like a Chula Vista scene, and then there would be a kind of a Pacific Beach scene, and then a North County scene, things like things of that nature. Uh, but also, there used to be a lot of house parties because there was no place to play, and then like the venues like Che Cafe and then 2581 was like this little place on university and Tim Mays, who does the Casbah now and various other people would put on shows at different halls around town where you could go see, you know, I don't know, the attics or UK subs or bad brains or whoever was playing. But, uh, back then it was like most other cities in the U S, uh, where, you know you can get a, a armband and drink in one area something uh, but it could still be all ages but then there was then there was a guy who I I won't name his club but everybody in San Diego knows his club but uh he started really trying to get all the other places shut down, according to various stories, um, try to get the fire marshal sent to these places because he had an all ages venue that he wanted to, you know, have everybody come to, but he couldn't if they're going to all these other places now. So that kind of split up, there was kind of, when you play in San Diego, you have to play an all ages show and a bar show and, and, and then it kind of they don't mix as much as they do in other cities so you had separate scenes by age too kind of interesting which which i mean i don't this is just conjecture but i figure like some of the the younger kids that like the the 31g and gravity and that whole scene um like they could they could flower and come up because everybody's not trying to you know get jeez what am i trying to say or how am i trying to say it like it gave them a a good chance to do their own thing in the in the company of their peers without Without it, you know, spreading too thin or something. I don't know. No, that's, I get that's that. It seems like to me, I'm, I'm having a hard time explaining it, but it really, it really seemed like that was kind of a big thing in San Diego.
1: Like everybody doing their own thing and it's cool mm-hmm. and there's enough people around for all the different pockets to sustain it.
2: Yes, but generally in San Diego, or at least that's been my experience, is With so many different little facets, they they've always really supported each other. I felt like I felt like that's one thing because San Diego is a big, giant, small town. So on the one on the one side, you know, people kind of talk shit, but on the other side, people will. You can have a you can have a show with many different styles of music on it local band wise and everybody will come out to it and I I always thought that was really cool I don't know how I don't know if it's that way as much anymore but that's how it was when we were growing up That's cool. starved for music and starved for kind of counterculture starved for any sort of art because this is a tourist town you know people think like most most of the big artists from San Diego are not you know it's 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 like beach culture totally so it it it's cool to see all the the people representing the other side of that
1: yeah which I, if i was there that would be so appealing you know to know that there was those those folks um, in those different pockets. And I totally agree. Those shows that it was like the punk band, the acoustic guy, the hardcore band, <laughs> the emo band, all on one. And everyone's like, well, I don't care. Like, we're just, yeah. We just need a show. We want a show. <laughs> um, the, and I, you know, No Knife to me, when I first heard it, um, it had a syncopation. And a a math quality to it that for someone that's very bad at math, um, it was just very interesting to listen to. And um, I I think, did you have any idea of going into it that like you talked about earlier with those sort of accidental chords turning into accidental, you know, riffs and and songs? um, Was that it? Was it, you know, these were accidental things or the – the time structures or the the riffs. I mean, at the time, it was I hadn't heard anything like it.
2: There was a time period where a lot of the bands in San Diego were really, really influenced by Drive Like Jehu or mm-hmm. Rocker from the Crypts. Yeah, and a lot of times both. Um, we veered more towards the Jehu side, but I think if you wanted to get particular about it, I I liked the pitch for it side of it Mm because that was that was a little less um less abrasive and more tuneful more melodic yeah but but also um early on i i got asked to play guitar to go on tour with this band it was my friend's band called a miniature and uh he was the bass player of a miniature and he said you know we need another one to go up the coast to san francisco so learning those songs uh john lee was the guitar player singer the writer and he would come over to my house and show me those songs and that was another pivotal moment that changed the way i looked at song structure and everything so as far as math goes we were always trying to just fill in the spaces a lot because we didn't know that space is a really important part and sometimes, sometimes to good effect. I guess we are just trying to outdo each other. Like, oh, look what I could do, you know, within the band. Like, wow, wow! But without you know doing solos or <laughs> something. We're we're being inspired by the people around us, but also trying to trying to play off each other to make our own sound too. Or maybe that maybe that's just accidental. That's just something that happens when you filter it through your your band or something
1: yeah and then also too i mean the the time period um being if it's sort of the mid 90s and the you know again the social media hasn't taken hold the internet hasn't really taken hold there's uh, no know,
2: cell phones yet there's,
1: there's no cell phones there's no yet laptops. there's no nothing like that so i just think it's i loved that i was in music then and then was in it after and able to s- tell the difference or not tell the truth, but just to be able to f- close my eyes and remember not having a cell phone at a show and being yeah. okay. And yeah. there's pictures of bands and watching everyone with their eyes on the singer and no one's looking down or taking a photo. It was all in the moment. And I know right. that I can't have that again. And I know that that sounds old and I sound like I'm 40. But I, that piece, especially in this time period, is the last time that that happened. Yeah. Um, and so having those first you know that first record if it's you know drunk on the moon or maybe some of those early 7-inches like uh-huh. not that it was slower it still felt fast but how were you connecting with people how were you uh you know hey we got this record out and you know obviously it's playing shows and meeting yeah. bands and how were some of those first things starting out when, again, most people now would think about it as like, oh, my God, you had to wait for a letter or you called somebody and left a message?
2: (laughs) Yeah. We had a big mailing list, uh, you know, one of those three-ring binders, and uh, we would bring it to put on the merch table at every city, and then people could sign it, and then we would send them, you know, an update. But it was just – it was a lot of touring. Um, At first, it was a lot of touring – and playing to absolutely no one. Um, we started, our, our first record, Drunk on the Moon, was on Goldenrod Records, which was uh, the guys from Tom Yetto, the skateboard company. Oh, wow. Um, they they just had a little record label and they put out cool stuff that they liked from San Diego and Orange County and things. Uh and that was good, but we were all really broke. And when Time Bomb, uh, various people came around and stuff. But Time Bomb, um, they they knew what they were talking about musically, and knew a bunch of the same people that we admired, and they helped us get out on the road, uh, as far as getting a van and getting out there. Um, but they were a subsidiary of bmg which is a major label and i I'm, I'm sure you remember at the time period especially no 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 that was yeah that was such a that. no no yeah yeah <laughs> so so none of the none of the the zines or any of those those outlets were available to us for the most part because nobody was interested in talking to us reviewing the records because it was on a major label which which i understand it i i get it you don't you don't want your scene to be tainted so but, i totally and now completely it's completely, completely it, fine yeah nobody cares no one gives <laughs> now it's up. all just gonna be spot on spotify or and or on Bandcamp, and nobody's gonna make any money and and if there's a giant whatever.
1: budweiser logo under it it's not even okay
2: yeah. <laughs> or yeah, whatever you don't even it is. Yeah. Notice it. Well, I don't I don't know what it's like for for kids though. I mean I'm I'm I'll be forty nine this year. So I don't pay attention to the same things, but I do understand that you know people people I, I, I understand it. So I'm not knocking it. Yeah. But so that it first really, record, everyone was, was really like, hard. screw you. After uh the first at first people were like, cool. But we had never been anywhere outside of uh, L.A. We drove to Denver and Arizona a couple of times, you know, just for the weekend. But by the time we were going out on tour, we were on a major label and we were just playing bars to nobody. You know, a lot of bands do that. Like we, we did it with a miniature MP and Heavy Vegetable and you know, Skiploader, loader and like there were, there were various other bands. So it's, it's not like, you know, we were all alone out there or anything, but, um, it was hard to find an audience. Um, until later on, uh, Pete from time bomb said, Hey, I know these guys from this band called the get up kids and you guys should tour with them. And we listened to him. We we're like, yeah, that'd be fun. And so we went on tour with them and played, you know, house shows and – What you know, year got was that? Back, 97? Maybe 96? ninety, maybe 96, 97. So I, it was – I think it was four-minute mile era. So 96, 95, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's rad that you know that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean but, I do have a podcast called Washed Up Emo. So yes, should know yes, this.
2: true, true. <laughs> So yeah, and that, that changed a lot as just just as far as getting in front of people um, who who might be interested in the kind of music that we're playing. You know, because the people in bars certainly were not for the most part.
1: How did that feel? Yeah. Like those like those kids that were the four minute mile, you know, I remember that tour and mm-hmm. it, you're right, that was the right audience. And so yeah. that is that's amazing that he did that. Yeah.
2: It was, it was such a good call. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and then after that, uh, and that was that was around the same time as uh, Jimmy Eat World. And I, I I have to say, um, one of my favorite tours was Jimmy Eat World, and No Knife and Lazy Kane, because those Lazy Kane guys were crazy, but <laughs> just just great, great people. And Jimmy were great and. I don't know. It, I think we were all kind of competing to see who could play the best every night, and you know, but good-naturedly. So, so, so that I, I felt like most of the nights on that tour, even though, even though we were all pretty hungover a lot of the time, um, most of the nights on that tour, it was just, it was if you caught that tour, then. You would probably it, would, it was probably memorable.
1: Yeah, so. and so that was that was for Hitman Dreams that for that record I, cycle when with I, with Jimmy and Lazy Kane. It was
2: either Hitman or Right Before Fire in the City. Interesting. I think it was Hitman. I think it was Hitman. I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a
1: million years ago. Yeah, no, that happens a lot on the show. Everyone's like. I don't remember the exact year and then there's always someone in the comments later they're like well when you said this it's that. I'm like all right fine um yeah but I think but those I mean to go on that tour and again to connect with a band like that and the whole podcast people know that i love i love that band and i think for mm. them to stay out are they're, they're still alive and they're yeah. the music's still alive and they had a a hit and they're able to still do that and it's kind of amazing but they were a catalyst to so many different bands um yeah. getting people signed or taking them out on the road and i think Raina maria is in that same camp where they were they were doing that same thing booking shows and helping people in the midwest and it's those anchor
2: people did that and those great
1: but that but i think those yeah like those things are uh, it's it just kind of like the stat sheet for a sports star that does really great picks you know Mm -hmm. it it still opens up the player to shoot but he's not going to get the same love and i think those moments happen still today and i just think that like you said it you know Telling us to go tour with this band, or Jimmy takes us out, and this like magic happens. And that takes it that same thing about jumping out of the bird cave or the, you know, the birdhouse and like trying yeah. to s- like that same thing where they took a chance
2: on you and they mm. were kind of teaching you,
1: right? Like yeah. you were learning from them every night, probably.
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah. And that's, I don't know, that's what made it feel so vital. And that's what made us do it so much all the time for. You know, the better part of ten years, we were just on the road constantly, and you know, we went through three vans, a couple of U hauls, some Penske's. <laughs> you know, things breaking down, and people getting irritated with each other, and getting broken into in New York City, like, and then getting our window fixed, and then coming back, and three days later, getting it broken into again, and getting all our our shit stolen somewhere in new york city they there are just boxes and boxes of the drunk on the moon vinyl <laughs> somewhere and and my sg i tried to play something beside a jazz master i bought an sg and i was playing that for a while and, and then some stolen. asshole stole it god damn right outside Tompkins square park oh, at bulk. eight o'clock well that's your problem you were over there <laughs> I, I know <laughs> That's not their
1: fault. That's your fault. We,
2: we parked it We parked it in front of a cafe with people sitting there. That's like, nice. Five feet away. Yeah? Yeah. And? And, we didn't know. <laughs> and we're like, we're, we'll be right back. We ran around the corner to get a slice of pizza, and we came back, and it was gone. And we're like, God, we're dumb. <laughs> Jeez. So.
1: I love that. It was a drag. Uh, so did you again through those uh, those tours and the vans and did you, did you did you feel um momentum did you feel more people the next time you came through New York or the next time you came through because a lot of times now it's like again you're getting that dopamine hit by other things mm-hmm. and I think then it was you know hey we sold 10 7 inches and two records not five or whatever it yeah. was did you feel any as it was happening, was that like was there
2: first first two records and all those tours pretty much no wow but then but then around around the Fire in the City kind of time period is when it started to be like okay people are starting to show up now and also I think something also that helped was. In the beginning, we would go play at a bar for two people, and then we would go and get a single room hotel, and we'd sleep all over the floor and everything like that. And then the next night we would do that. But um finally, our driver was like, "That's so stupid. Let's just ask people and stay with people. It's cheaper, and you know, we'll meet people. So, you know, we'd be playing for ten people and from the stage, just say, "Hey, if anybody can put us up, you know, we're relatively housebroken and people would and then we would meet people. And then the next time we came through town, they would come back out. Um, they would bring their friends. You know, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Mike Thrower who lived in uh, Charlotte. No, I went he, to school in North Carolina. I have no idea who that is. He lived. He lived on, what is it, Lake Wiley, I think it was called. And he had a boat and uh, we played Tremont Hall one time and I think it was us and the Red Ants, I want to say. And, you know, there were there were 10 people and some guy was standing there with his goatee and, you know, came walking up to us and he's like, hey, if you guys are ever coming back through, um, you're welcome to come stay at my house. I have a I have a boat and I'll take you out wakeboarding. And we're like, oh, okay. But he seemed nice enough, and he knew about music and things. But uh, we came back around for whatever reason. We came back around within, I think, the week. And so we just called him up, and we're like, hey, uh, can we take you up on that? He's like, sure thing. So took us out all wakeboarding. Next time we came through, we came through with Jimmy World. Put us, he put us all up. Took everybody out wakeboarding, like he, <laughs> and he would drive to you know Chapel Hill to come see us, mm-hmm. and out to San Diego, and we'd go visit him, and he just we made a lifelong friend, and you know, it, it's it's stuff like that 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 made touring important, and so. maybe you know you're right, kept you going. You had that kid that
1: yeah you're right that was hooking you up for wakeboarding. God, I wish he was my friend. I love wakeboarding.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. damn it. Um, (laughs) throw her take tom (laughs) wickboarding
1: any other um favorite bands from the rut i I, one of the bands i think got listed that i i loved that few people talk about now is sweep the leg johnny
2: oh sometimes my balls feel like tits that was a song title that still that was a song title of theirs i'll just be driving around and i'll just start cracking up when i think of that song that is an actual title i forgot and yeah, sometimes my balls feel like tits. And uh I was like, Where did you come up with that? anyways and they were like, It was it was scrawled on a bathroom stall at, you know, flying J or somewhere. And they <laughs> just they just turned it into a song.
1: But please I just boy. want to reference the Flying J
2: reference was fantastic. <laughs> Man, it's been a while. Jeez, I need to go on tour. Oh wait, I'm too old. Those guys turned us on to the frogs. Ah I just remember um they would play. Was it my daughter, The Broad? I think all the time. So, and then we would do. I think. I think once or twice we all got up on stage and did "Dream Box, Dream Box, Baby's Got a Dream Box, Wanna Get Inside <laughs> Your Pants Tonight," or you know, just stupid. Yeah, your kids. Yeah, yeah, but they were another. They were another band. Every time we came through Chicago or that area, like they'd meet us. We'd go on a little tour and they'd put us up and you know, we'd have a cinder block throwing contest while we drank beer, you know, after the show and I don't know, it's good times. Good times. Good and,
1: and then Sunny Day Real Estate, you did some stuff with them.
2: Yeah. Toward toward the end, uh we did five weeks around the US with them. I feel really bad because we had just booked our first European tour. Um with sunshine, who we did a split seven inch with, oh right, and we were super excited about that. We were gonna start in Germany and just go all around and it was it was about a month away, but then sunny day asked us, and we were we were actually gonna turn it down because everything was all set up, and we were, what do we do and we talked about it, and we we're like, man we can't <laughs> we can't pass that up, you know and and I'm glad we did. It was it was great. They were amazing every night. It was just the two of us, and uh, uh, it was it was a fantastic tour. And I somewhere in a box in an attic, I have the tour diary of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to, I tried to write down you know most. I, I kept a tour diary for most of the tours just so I could remember when when I was an old man, which is now. But now I can't remember where I put the tour diaries. (laughs) (laughs) So that actually brings up the
1: other piece I want to talk about um, is did you ever think about your legacy as a band while you were in the band? And you just talked about, you know, you saving stuff. You had the tour diary. Do you think about that now? Do you think about, um, you know? Putting that as a book, or finding the photos, like so. I know there's like 15 questions, but did you have you thought about it? And did you save things other than that tour
2: diary? I always wanted to do it. Just you know, one of those one of those little presses where you can just make one for yourself. Hey, look, I I got a coffee table book of my life. You know, whatever. I don't know why I did that in a horrible <laughs> Southern accent. Um, let's go to Crackle Barrel. No, not really. I didn't. We we kind of okay. We didn't. We didn't really think. People would be particularly interested. Like, of course, I, I wanted to have this stuff to show, you know, my kid later on when he's old enough to be interested, if he is, you know. But uh, we we didn't really think anybody was interested. Plus, the, sometimes the sometimes uh, when a label uh, they would send us some mail on the road and it's just reviews of the, the newest record that we're out there promoting and we're like yay don't put the bad ones in there <laughs> Yeah, you know cause and if it's a stack of bad ones or ones that are just like boy they used to be fun but now they're boring boy they used to be really loud but now they are just seem kind of tired or you know those those little things stick with you forever whereas if they were like This was the best thing I ever heard nothing you don't remember it yeah so we we were we were always under the impression that nobody really gives shit. So
1: and that's that again thing. Without the the internet now, you can sort of fill your uh, like we talked about earlier. You know, with likes, you can throw up the right photo and you've filled your dopamine there. Yeah. Your label's sending you the the shitty reviews and you're not getting. <laughs> you're not even
2: thinking about the the uh, yeah. good ones. But it, were and you, to be fair? Yeah. to be fair. Maybe there's maybe there's ten good ones. But there's two bad ones, and you're only going to remember those two. Nobody remembers the,
1: the good ones. Yeah, you know? and then it's it, it's like in the comment section, the one guy that says you suck, you're thinking about him versus the 15 people that said you're awesome.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. So if you want really to get a band's attention, say so you <laughs> it's suck just to them. Yeah, they'll
1: remember you forever. So in terms of the, you know, did you save photos? Did you save flyers? Did you? Yeah. So you have all that stuff.
2: Um, well, we we put up an Instagram page uh, just called No Knife Archive, um, where at first we we're scanning them and then you know cutting them to size and then putting them up. But uh, now, if I find something in a drawer somewhere, I just take a picture of it with my phone, almost the same, you know, and then just put it up. And hopefully, whoever took the photo. We can credit them because sometimes people will send us photos like, you know. But um, there, there's not a whole lot of stuff out there. We we went out with uh, Paul Drake. He was our roadie for several tours. And he, he was an avid photographer. And then Brian brought his camera a couple of times and they would take photographs. But there's there's not a whole lot of stuff, I don't think. Do you think about
1: that? Do you think that? Because, again, like you have that tour diary, you're going to remember stuff that, you know, you would have never remembered in your just normal day to day. um, And those are important. And did you do you think that that's I mean, the No Knife Archive, I know people reach out to me and they're like, oh, my God, are they back? Are they back? You know, or are they back again? Like, what's going on? And it's again, it it just it gets people's emotions. It, it, It reminds people of things. But then also there's a kid finding out about you today. And he's on Instagram and he looks at that and he's like, oh, cool. They played with Rocket or they played with Jimmy. Like, get up. I'm going to go check them out. And you've got a new fan. Yeah. But that came from you putting out there your previous things. Um, So I'm glad that you did that. But it's almost like did you
2: you wish that there was more? Yeah. Well, it it was kind of something that we – we tried not to really think about it too much, I guess. And then it, and then we got, we just got really good at that <laughs> by the time we, by the time we all went our separate ways, you know, now we all talk and, you know, hang out and our kids hang out. and But it's, it's not something that comes up a lot. So it's not something every once in a while, somebody will go like one of the records, it's going to be the 10 year anniversary. And we don't know where the masters are. And, you know, uh, I don't know who owns that time bomb. Time bomb sold to one of those, you know, orchard. Some I I don't even know, but uh, I don't know. So we haven't given it much thought. Damn, I, I don't know. Maybe we should. I'm gonna help you with that. I I do. Whoa, well, <laughs> I just hit my uh. No worries. Just hit my little mic here. Um, yeah. If you would, <laughs> that, that's a thing. We don't want to trouble anybody either. But um, I'll. I'll accept the help if you would like to help. It's important. I, and the if, reason if, it's important if is... If care about that, then great. I
1: people would, do care. And I, I think would, if you guys are putting it out there like that Instagram account or you guys have that and, and there's a... There, even if it's little, I think it will continue the name. And I want another band to sound like No Knife. I want another... Band now to reference you guys, and maybe there's a whole – it's just – I don't know. It's almost like I want to have it on a, a piece of paper that keeps getting passed on, and I want to make sure yeah. that it's on that paper. So that's why it's important. I think, again, this is why the podcast exists. This is why the website exists, like all these things to keep the stories alive. And um, if you guys have that tour diary, like I, I, I would make a book. I would do photos in a book, and it would be No Knife Tour Diary and <laughs> man
2: okay well i'll dig through the attic i don't even have an attic i'll dig through my little tiny storage space maybe Maybe I can find some stuff, but then I would have to read through it, and then I would have to censor it, and then change it all to make it sound flashier <laughs> and like we did cooler stuff. Or it was it was it
1: was pink cinder blocks because we yeah. stole them from the you know whatever. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I was late. Yeah. she was waiting in the wrong place.
1: Yeah, um, poetry. Yeah, I know. You, uh, I was going to say the you mentioned Jimmy Eat World earlier, and I think it's worth mentioning that you know you guys have had a long history, and you know you've toured with them. They, you also did the Clarity Ten tour um, with them. Uh, Jim's you know sang stuff on the you know with you guys. I think he did Charming. I've seen a bunch yeah. of videos online. You know, when did that start, and how how did it cultivate into that where you guys were? It seemed pretty tight.
2: I don't know. We were, uh, they were recording with Trombino. I think they were doing their uh, – they'd already done Static, so Clarity? Yeah. Um, which I think, I, I have to say, is one of the best records of that decade, like sound-wise, song-wise. I, I was listening to it um, several years ago, and, and it just kind of, bing! Wow, that's a thing. That's actually one of the best records. Well well done, everybody. But so they, I, I remember meeting them. Uh, one of my friends in a band called Boxcar from here gave me a tape with Jimmy World on it. And then I think it had... God, who was on the other side? Texas is the reason, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but anyways, he was like, hey, I think you guys have a similar sound and I think maybe you would like... This band. So put it in the cassette player and drove around and went, yeah. And then they were recording with him. And for some reason, we just stopped and we kind of met them briefly, said hi. And then, uh, did they know about you? Him. I, they'd heard of us too. But at that, at that point, you know, everybody was just kind of, you know, I think, I think we would play, I think. I'm trying to remember the first time we played together. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was Coos Cafe. It was something smaller, you know, something small like that. And we we're both just small van, small bands. And they, we would just do tours and drive around. And I don't know. We just kind of came up together, and then they just exploded, with good reason. Yeah. So, I don't mean they exploded. There's. St- <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't want to worry anyone.
1: Mitch, this is definitely the most comedic podcast. I'm sorry. No, don't <laughs> the, apologize. Okay, I'm not sorry. I want it. I want jokes. I want jokes. Okay. I I have I only have 10 jokes. My girlfriend says I have 10 total jokes <sighs> and I just rotate them. And I go, "I'm sorry if I'm I have a great routine." <laughs> what are your 10 jokes? There's just little things I just always do. give me do. one. Um, give me one. I always In-om-ism. I do um uh, I'll go like, hey, do you know what? She's like, what? And I go, it is a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Constantly. Oh, like, yes. we'll be at a restaurant with other people. And I'll be like, honey, what? She's, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm going to murder you outside of the restaurant. Yeah, so
2: that's that's uh-huh. one.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> I can, I can't... I can't recall what mine are, but I, I think I've only got six. Oh, you have six jokes total. Okay, How about we're not the name, but hey, kid, press that button and tell me. My kid's engineering this. That you had that muffin joke about muffins sitting in a tank. No, no muffins in the microwave and turtles <laughs> sitting in a tank. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, say it. All right. So two turtles are sitting in a tank. And one turtle looks at the other one and says, "How the fuck do we drive this thing?" <laughs> and that's just that's <laughs> my dumb joke. But yeah, I understand. I understand the uh, the <laughs> ten things, and it's it's always really funny at first, but then a couple of years later. It's,
1: oh man, no, I've been a, doing these for a new years. material. Yeah, she's yeah. like, "Do you have any new material?" I was like, "No, this is it. This <laughs> yeah. is my set. I don't really know how else to do this."
2: This is me, darling.
1: <laughs> Love it oh leave it. I know,
2: right. <laughs> uh, wait. Just, don't leave <laughs> accents. it. Just love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Accents. I'm trying to think what accents.
2: I'll do. I'll do a British one. I'll, I'll do that oh. once in a while. That's the only one I'm fairly decent at. But I do it all the time. And then you know I'll I'll be standing there and I'll talk. I'll be talking to a British person and I'll go into it. And then I just feel really bad. I'm like I am not making fun of you. This is how I speak. This I'm I'm a so- cartoon.
1: I was at the – Where was I not – the. Was where was I? The Getty? I think I was at the Getty with her. And I am like a parrot. So if uh-huh. I hear something, I will uh-huh. repeat it. And so I heard – this is her telling me after because I was oblivious. Uh-huh. I overheard an Australian accent, oh. and I just started mimicking it, uh-huh. not realizing that he heard me, looked at me, wanted to kill me, and I just walked away spouting off australian like terms just completely oblivious and she goes did you realize what you and i was like what what do you mean i'm just just looking at the art and she's like no you were saying but i was like oh (laughs) (laughs) you and i are very very similar in that regard oblivious that i was mocking his accent in front of him (laughs) on american shores no i'm just oh geez Oh, geez. Anyway, enough about... You get in trouble. <laughs> definitely get <in> trouble. <laughs> the idea of being connected to emo and the word, and again, uh-huh. a lot of people hate it unless you're making boatloads of cash um, or the era after in sort of the mid-2000s, you know, when it sort of hit MTV and Top 40 Radio and the word sort of... Per- it kind of intersected with goth in the UK. How do you feel...
2: Was no that knife- when... When it was the, the swooshy hairs and yes. then the flying, it's spinning the guitars over their shoulders. Yeah. And
1: so it, it ended up being that. But again, in a, the 90s, yeah. I think, I mean, you guys were, again, it was, yes, it was indie rock. Yes, it was college. But yeah. you were connected to that scene. How did it feel then? And then when the swoopy hairs happened, how did you feel?
2: I don't know. Because to me, it was always like, I didn't know much about it uh, other than like Rites of Spring And some of that stuff But then I don't know when the when the I I didn't know Uh, We got asked about it a couple of times We got asked about it a couple of times And we were just like, I don't don't know, we're underground rock We can't say indie rock Because we're on a subsidiary So it was underground rock You know, and they would be like Oh, but you tour with all these emo bands And emo and this and that and the other And uh, I just I just want you to know I'm being very animated with my hands right now, and I just whacked the microphone again. So, just I want you to picture that. I was going to put a camera in here, but it's a podcast, so it doesn't matter. The
1: power but, um, of editing.
2: But yeah, it was it was something like it could be irritating, but it I, we didn't we didn't fit the cookie cutter definition of it, anyways. And some of it, some of it, we didn't care about at all. And some of the music, we just thought it was just the best thing. You know? So, I don't know. But, I i mean, I always kind of just liked the weirder. Like, I really liked um, a portable model of that record, the Joan of Arc. Yes. God, I loved the guitars on that. I had heard Tristessa before I had heard that. But just that whole style, but then with the keyboards. And it was just kind of non sequiturs. And I, I I liked that aspect of it I didn't I didn't like the the anthemy stuff as much yep but oh I uh, love Tristessa there that was they were another band that so I would say it's Pitchfork a miniature and Tristessa were the two were the three (laughs) good at counting too um they were the three pivotal moments in my musical life as far as when I heard them it changed things like uh, mission control. Um, that's totally us trying to rip off Tristessa in the beginning. And really? doing, it just, doing it just horribly <laughs> Which is fine. That's the good thing. We're we're not good at copying. So it works to our advantage. Oh, I love yeah. that. And then uh, when that was on that was on the fire record, and when we did the cd release in san diego we played at the bar that i was working at called the kensington club and tristessa we asked them to open the show and i was i was so excited <laughs> like these these guys are so good just wow. love em. love them love them i love that i
1: yeah. think the uh the fire record has some the gr- really good th- the first 3 songs like jam academy into minus into secret hand like it's like one, two, three, you don't have to flip. You don't have to skip. Um, right. So again, I think like your, you. the, the No Knife part that it was like this angular, but then they had these like riffs that I wanted to go further, but I think that goes against your anthemic thing. You're like, I don't want to turn <laughs> it into a chorus anthem, but you're uh, going to tease it with a
2: like a sick riff. Is that correct? Kind of, but it was just, it was a matter of just kind of trying to stick everything all together of our influences into something, you know, cohesive like, uh, Academy flight song. I try to make that pretty obvious. I was listening to, uh, it, when we started like sussing it out in practice, it kind of reminded me of mission of Burma. So, um, but the beginning reminds me of, I want to say they were called Emery. Um, Taryn from Boilermaker, Played me this. Love Boilermaker, band. by the way. Let's just shout Need it out to, to Boilermaker. Shout out to Boilermaker okay. forever.
1: Emery, but, E-M-E-R-Y,
2: right? Yeah. There was just one part that kind of kind of had that weird kind of pulvoy math thing. And so it, for some reason, that was called to mind. So there's, you got Mission of Burma, you got some random band, and then it ended up sounding like The Cure, jumping someone else's trade or, you know, something. And that's mm-hmm. that's how all of the songs are. As as I think maybe it's like that for everybody, but I don't know. But yeah, Mission Control was totally um Tristessa in the beginning. That bone I can't yeah. I can't sing it. <laughs> can't <laughs> sing anything. Can you know, yeah. only jam it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> when you guys had stopped after Riot for Romance you know the two thousand two and I think you know a couple what what was some of the the pieces of that was it the scenes are changing the stuff's or you guys were all moving on
2: what was what was going on? We were all getting older as far as you know I was thirty three I think the last tour we did was with cursive, and I was working three jobs um they were wow. getting married going to school various things Chris was in, you know, Rocket and you know playing in other bands. But uh I just remember the Curse of Tour was the last tour we went on and uh, just I remember driving out our first show was at the Metro in Chicago. Um and I think it was right when they first dropped the bombs on Baghdad. Um and that was that made us heart sick um i got physically sick maybe just because i you know the stress and then all of a sudden i'm just in the van just sitting there for a couple of days to get to chicago and so i got sick and by the time i got to chicago the first show um and it was packed house and we're playing with cursive who it's hard to top curse of life you know they're a really really good and really solid band and i've got you know a fever <laughs> you know and we did our best but just trying to talk to everybody afterwards and i think for me i don't know about the rest of the band but i was i was having a nervous breakdown on that tour i got sick like three or four times a friend of mine died and i had to hightail it all the way back from south carolina to san diego and like it was just, it was just it just got too much and then i think we all played with them at the scene and we were not getting along great with each other money problems it felt like nobody really cared you know and we just didn't call each other for practice for a while and that while just turned into years (laughs) so i think that was that so
1: that makes sense and then I think you guys gone. You know, you've done a few things. Like I said, you did the Jimmy stuff in 09. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> and you know the now you've got the you're going to open up for Job roles. Yeah,
2: oh yeah, that's um, July 14th in LA at the Regent, right? Um, yeah, super excited about that. We played with them in St Andrews Hall, I believe it was. I want to say Detroit. And we played with them and and dismemberment plan (laughs) sometimes we got so lucky to be on bills you guys had the best fucking tours or the shows like that's a that's a great show so um and just just out of the blue like we played not too long ago for uh the casbah's 30th anniversary anytime the casbah says hey we want you to play then we really have to try even though ryan lives in utah now and you know we have to borrow equipment because we don't have half stacks and whatnot anymore. Um, so we had played recently, and then uh, Tim just mentioned to us that they asked about having us play with them. So what an honor that is. Thank you. Yeah. For Box.
1: Oh, for, for, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's,
2: that's crazy. So, that's so nice to be asked. And then uh, we're also going to play the next night at the Casbah, which is, it's a Monday night so monday the 15th of july and rob crow from heavy vegetable pinback and four hundred thousand other bands is going to open for us and we're going <laughs> to we're going to try to keep it kind of early-ish because you know it's a school night and everything so oh that's yeah. great
1: and then uh what are you up to now so you've talked about all those side mm. jobs and figuring out stuff like what what uh what uh what fills the day
2: um, I work at a place called Hay House Radio, and I engineer uh, – I do the live radio, and then I um, do production, put together commercials for the radio station, and then I edit audiobooks, things like that. So basically I'm under headphones for 10 hours a day, <laughs> But um, <clears throat> and I have a son who's 11, so I'm trying to raise him and be – I, it's really important for me to be present uh, for him, to make him feel secure, you know, give him something that, that I didn't get when I was growing up. So, and uh, uh, I got married, was married for a while, got divorced, um, but we still, uh, we get along great and talk to each other all the time uh so that we can, you know, put our heads together about raising him and, you know, giving giving him the security to to go out there and do whatever he, he wants to do. And also, um <clears throat> I've been I after No Knife, I did a record called Lunar Maps. And it was <laughs> it was called Moon Life, but then I found out that there was a band called Moon Life. Um <laughs> and Moonlife, just so you, that was the last song on the No Knife record. Um, this is Moonlife, mm-hmm. but Moonlife is a song by Dolly's Car, which is Peter Murphy from Bauhaus with Mick Karn from Japan, and that's one of the songs on there. And I I just love the bass. Like Mick Karn's one of my favorite bass players, and Peter Murphy's one of my favorite singers. Anyways, so I was just going to rip off the name, but somebody else already ripped off the name. And I was like, well, I want, be, I want it to be lunar-themed, and I was like, Moony, Moon something, lunar, blah, 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 and then Lunar Weight by the VSS. I was like, ah, lunar. There you go. And then I, for some reason, lunar maps just stuck. So I made this record. It's uh, self-produced. It's me, and it's Brian, and then uh, – a bunch of other of our friends and we did this kind of late night, you know, disco ball record, um, kind of tones on tail, the glove, Roxy music kind of vibe, throbbing gristle a little bit. So, and then they wanted to start playing out and we played, we played maybe six shows, but it was a six piece band and there was so much equipment and I, I'm, I'm singing in the lower register, which interesting it's, um it's I can't push the air that I'm used to live. And I don't I don't <laughs> I don't pretend that I'm a singer. I don't have a good strong voice. I always just sound like somebody punched a squirrel. But I'm trying to sing lower was I you know, it was kind of like this tongue in cheek really forward kind of uh smoking jacket disco ball kind of thing. Yeah. Just to, just to do it because I love tones on tail. So we did that. And but the last the last couple of years I've been doing photography and um, I'm making music videos now. So I was ah. doing this photography. It was it was called Strangers in a Fire, which is actually a Lunar Maps song. But a uh, uh, a woman that I was I was dating, um, we started this experimental photography just with some friends, and it just kind of took off from there but it was like projection like nude projection photography and multiple exposure stuff like that so she she still does it I, I stopped doing it to kind of do my own thing for a while but uh, it's called Strangers in a Fire if you look it up on Instagram it's, it's I'm really proud of this stuff we've shot a lot of different you know men women um, groups but it's it's art it's not you know it's not corny or anything like that it's just it's you know the body as an art form and now i do lunar maps photography and uh i make music videos like i made one for one of my favorite current local san diego bands called spooky cigarette and i made another one Uh, i did a lunar maps video um just to kind of you know practice and learn how to do it so that's that's what I'm spending most of my free time doing now is photography and video stuff.
1: Where is the official uh, Fletchette video? Because there's a
2: janky version on YouTube. <laughs> that was uh that was our friend Mark Garris. He was doing a he was doing a kind of fundraiser at LiveWire, and he made this talk show that was really just over the top, and it was called the Richard Gozinia Tonight Show. And it was just It was just, you know, horrible, you know, funny stuff. He wanted us to come on uh, and do like a fake interview, like, you know, Letterman-style interview. Uh, And then he shot this video where... Uh, there was a scientist had this machine, and it would transport us to another place. So I'm talking to him, and then the rest of the band are already transported into the television or something. So then when I tried to go through it, it went horribly wrong, and my head got my head got all bloody. But then he just decided to make that into a video and just give it kind of a different plot. So it was just, it was part of this thing that he did. So there was no official video or anything. The only official video that we have is for the red bedroom. So, yeah. And that was, I was like, you better hurry up and put that out, man, because I don't think we're going to be around much longer. And sure <laughs> enough, like, you know, it that was back when you had to do it on film. So <laughs> by the time they were done editing it, we were done. So. You want to know what makes me so mad? <laughs> There's only one version of that on the internet that I'm aware of. Because every time we try to put it on there, it would be taken down. By uh, who? I don't, what would be the takedown? I, I'm not from. sure why. Um, I, I can't.
1: Because that's Paul's record. That's better right. looking. Paul should be able to. But
2: I just wish that we could upload... A full resolution version because it just looks bad, and they spent so much time. Um, Jason McClain and Kathleen edited it, and um, they spent. Where is the Where's I, the master? I have no idea. You have a lot to do for me, uh-huh. Mitch. You know what? <laughs> um, <laughs> we need. I, I need. I need somebody like a sleuth to go around and find this stuff because <laughs> I just don't know. You know. Do you think Paul might know? Uh, he might. Yeah, uh, he's going to be at the at the Jawbox show. He just emailed me this morning. So, oh yes, yeah. Okay, good. Looking forward love, to seeing I'm, him. Haven't okay. seen him in a long time. I think since Henry Ford Theater. With so.
1: so I, I I'm going to bug okay. Paul, um, about the the video, and then I need you to look in your. Your archive for me. I need you to look at some stuff. Okay, um, <laughs> I know you got you got work to do. Um, I this is important. Well, I think I'm, it is. I'm, thank you.
2: Um, that, that means a lot to me. I appreciate that very much, and I'm I'm I sure I speak for the rest of the guys too because I mean it was a labor of love, and it didn't feel like you know all that many people got it. So it's nice to know that it's having some kind of resonance. So. And I think I want more people to find out about it. I want people
1: after me to learn about them, learn about you guys and learn about, um, those songs and, and, and this is, this is part of it. So, um, yeah. And again, it's not like a, it's, it does seem daunting when you're looking at everything, (laughs) but if it's broken down and it's like, okay, I'm going to worry about the photos or I'm going to figure out this video, or I'm going to figure out, um, you know, where this master is for this and
2: figuring that out. Um, I just wish I was better at filing and storing things (laughs) because I just put it somewhere. It's all over the place. Who knows where it is, you know? Yeah. I'm a bit scatterbrained that way.
1: (laughs) Um, Anything else you wanted to mention?
2: Um, Did you have fun? Yeah, I did have fun. It it didn't feel like I was doing an interview, and then every once in a while I was aware that I was doing an interview, and I probably could have... Cut a lot of my answers shorter, but you know what? You can edit whatever you like. (laughs) Well, I I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Like I know we talked about it, you know, like a a year or so ago or something like that. But I I just, I just didn't feel like I had anything. You know, we didn't have anything to talk about as far as we had nothing up and coming or anything. So, so I'm glad we, I'm glad we finally got to uh, touch base. Thank you.